2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 8 reads as follows. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but on despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body of the dying Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word, the Bible, that we have to learn from, to uh, educate us to guide us in our lives. Please be with us now to try to learn your lessons and to have your word fill our spirits with your word, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we talk a little bit about the subject of adversity. We all know what adversity is, hopefully, right? We don't like it, but we know what it is. It's the trials we face, the struggles we have in our life, the bad stuff that every person goes through in their life. In fact, we read these verses right here. God tells us that there's going to be adversity in part of our lives always, right? We are troubled on every side, it says, right? We are perplexed. We are persecuted, cast down. All these things are the words that God uses to describe our lives. And is it not true? Is it not true that all of us has faced stuff like that in our lives, whether it be from the very small to the very big. Adversity is part of it. But we see from that verse also, God gives us a comfort, right? That we're troubled, yet not distressed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. We'll talk a little bit about adversity and how we as Christians ought to respond to that today. But we know it's our natural tendency that after something happens, like a disaster or tragedy or whatever, some big thing, that people try to reflect, right? They try to think like, oh, what can I do about this? How can I help myself in the future, right? Just a few weeks ago, we had the, the, the teeny earthquake, right? Woke you guys up in the middle of the night. And you guys know after earthquakes, big things, people start thinking about big things, right? When there was like the 1989 earthquake, afterwards, people started, oh, we've got to have earthquake preparedness kits, right? We've got to change the laws so that we have earthquake retrofitted buildings. We change the way we build the buildings. How do we uh, account for that? We've got to take down the whole Bay Bridge, build a new Bay Bridge that is uh, earthquake resistance. And it's true for all these type of things. And you have other things like, oh, there's a tragedy, like a terrorist attack. Oh, we got to think of new safety measures, right? You got to take your shoes off when you get on the airplane nowadays, right? Whatever it is. If it's something more personal in life, oh, you get, you know, you get uh, a sick disease. Oh, now you know, oh, I got, I've got heart disease now. I got to change the way I eat, right? I got to learn the lesson, right? I can't eat all these unhealthy foods now, right? I've got a heart disease. I don't get a heart attack. I don't have all these problems, right? Change when you get the bad things. You try to learn some lesson. Likewise, we Christians ought to approach adversity the same way. What lesson can we learn from it, right? It's not just, oh, it's horrible, I'm suffering. It's what do we learn from it? How do we gain from this? So what are the lessons that we can gain from adversity? Here's a few things that I thought about reading these verses, thinking about it. Number one, when we face trials, when we face struggles, when we face these bad things in our life, we ought to remember this. We ought to remember that God is sovereign. God is in control. All these bad things are a reminder that there's only one person in charge, and that's God, right? You might think that you are good and you know this and that you're in charge, but when something happens totally out of control, that's a reminder. Ah, there's God. When it's the big earthquake, you know there's nothing you can do. You can't stop it. You can't prevent it. You can't do anything at that moment when the big earthquake hits, right? When that problem is. When you get 
the big disease, right? When the cancer cells start growing, there's nothing you can do, humanly do, to make the cancer cells stop growing, right? When these adversities come, we have only one refuge, the all-powerful God. We're to cling to our knowledge that God is in control and remind ourselves that everything is in God's plan. Does it not say in Romans 8.28 that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. To put our faith and our trust in God during times of trouble. That's our reminder. And that's our lesson. Because the reality is we got to put our faith and trust in God all the time, right? But especially in these times, it's a reminder, a lesson to us that this is what we ought to do. It's also a reminder to us that everything on earth is temporary, right? Temporary. There's nothing here that's lasting forever, right? People work all their lives, right? Non-Christians, right? They work all their lives to build up all this stuff on earth, and in the end, they lose it all, right? It's not lasting. You could have all the houses in the world. Like I said, when the earthquake comes, your house is gone, right? When the fire comes, your house is gone. Right? You know, the fanciest car can be stolen. Right? Even your own self, things of your own self. Right? As much as we, uh, we, we work and strive for, let's say, even our own children. Guess what? One day, children aren't going to be here. Right? Uh, hopefully, that's many, many years down the road. Right? When they're like 100 years old or whatever. But still not forever. Right? Even our own life is not forever. We can try to make it as great as we can now. But guess what? In... 20 years, 40 years, however many years, even 100 years. At some point, it's over. It's temporary. It's gone. That's why we as Christians try to focus on things that we can never lose. Our eternal life, our life in heaven, right? Lay not your treasures here on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, as the Bible says, right? Finally, when we have adversity, it reminds us to depend on God, right? When we're in this trouble, we have no one else to turn to. It forces us to pray to him. It forces us to turn to his word. It forces us to turn to other brothers and sisters that we have our fellowship with other Christians to rely on in our time of need. They're the people that are going to pray for you, right? They're the people that are going to try to support you. They're the people that love you. We're all here together as one fellowship, as one community. These are the lessons, I think, some of the lessons, I'm sure there's more, that I think we can draw from the adversity that we face, all the terrible stuff that's out there that we know we deal with, whether it be disaster, tragedy, death, sickness, horrible things like that. We face them all, right? But we get through it. We get through it with God. Now, a lot of people have faced this in their lives, and I'll share with you today a great example of, you know, someone facing a, a tough year and things going not so great and how it went. But that's not my story. That's actually the story of this week's featured church member, Shirley Lee. So I'm going to invite Shirley up now oh, to talk a little bit about that. Okay. Hi, everybody. Um, ooh, hello. Hello. I don't know, in case, you know, I don't assume everybody knows who I am. So, um, my name is Shirley. I've been coming to CBC for past, uh, close to 37 years. And so, I'm 
Yeah, I, I've been here since I was like um, in third grade, so. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, I did give my testimony during Thanksgiving, but you know, I wasn't prepared for it. And so I just sort of went, you know, I was just trying to go really quick as, as a lot of you old timers know that usually our Thanksgiving testimonies are supposed to be like two minutes, come on guys, two minutes. So I was trying to kind of rush through it and kind of just kind of do the serious little highlights kind of thing, what I could say, but um, I did have a lot more to say, but you know, I would have been one of those, you know, Mel, you know, trying to pull the, pull me, <laughs> pull me down like uh, time. But, um, but I wanted to go over this. Um, I felt it was something, you know, in I, my family and I faced a good amount of adversity last year and I kind of wanted to share a little bit about it, a little bit more. So, um, so last year, yeah, that was definitely the case for us. And so beginning of the year, you know, looked kind of promising because I had just started a new job, like some of, some of you might know, and it was at a medical practice. And the first time I was working for doctors and so, um, but I have to admit that after maybe about a month or so being there, I was beginning to get this weird feeling about it in my gut because several times my, I'm an accountant, so my CFO, who was my boss, he was kind of like, I could hear him sort of like behind closed doors in his office with uh, our CEO and other senior partners in our practice, kind of like having heated discussions. And you, you know, when you hear kind of like raised voices, it's like, oh, this doesn't sound good <laughs> kind of thing. Like this is, mm, this is not, this is not sounding good. And I just started, so. I was like, oh no, there's like turmoil kind of thing. And so, so I would occasionally hear these sort of kind of heated arguments behind my CFO's closed door sort of thing. And, um, and so after about a couple months, after about two or three months, um, our, our accounting group, our little accounting group, it was only three people, CFO, my finance manager and myself. And the two people that hired me, they were gone. And so, um, and then they, the, the CEO put in new people, new managers. And I had a new manager and I don't know, he didn't, I guess, like me and he didn't like the fact that he didn't hire me. So he saw me as a part of like the old team, even though I was only with them for like two months, but you know, he still saw me as such and so, he kind of had this, I don't know, I think he was like a really smart person, like these new people, they were smart people, but they weren't nice people, okay? Like really fake. And um, so they wanted, so they would do things on the surface that looked really nice to me, like, like be really nice to me, but they do all these things kind of like off to the side and off the record that would be like really mean to me. And like, for example, this practice. It was, as some of you might learn, some like really expensive, very fancy schmancy kind of like doctors, they, they charge an annual fee. Most normal doctors do not charge you guys fees to be your doctor, but they charge it to like the rich and, first, and the really rich people. And so, cause they try to sell that 
like they have like like they're really like they'll get you into like I guess um, like the top people to help you like if you ever have any issues or anything. So so they they charge like tens of thousands of dollars to people every year to be a part of their practice. Okay, and so they would force me to like for example they would force me to speak to family members of deceased patients, you know, to explain to them why they were not getting like a bigger refund on their annual fees sort of thing. And then, you know, and for you accountants out there, you try to explain revenue recognition to, you know, to people who are not business minded, who are just, you know, trying to get their money. And so, so, you know, and they're in an emotional state too. So, cause like their family member just passed. And so, they just think you're like an unfeeling person, but you're really just like the middleman, just the messenger. So, um, so I had to do that a number of times. And even though I, there were the last couple of times I refused to do it, like I didn't want to do it, but my manager made me do it because they just made up some excuse like, oh, you have to do it. Like I'm too busy. And so I would be forced to deal with these people and it's never a good conversation. And they would just basically, I would be taking yelling, people yelling at me, like for, you know, figure a good solid, probably like 45 minutes of someone yelling at you and not giving you what you what they want from you, you know, not getting what they want. And they just keep yelling at you. And so, you know, I, I like to think I'm a nice person, so you know, after that much, you know, kind of berating and yelling kind of wears on the person. So it kind of made me like cry. Like every time I had these sort of conversations, I had, I had to like go to the restroom and like cry or close my door to my office and just cry. Cause you know, it's never fun when people yell at you. Okay. And so they would do these kinds of things, like almost like mind games kind of thing to like make me want to leave. So, but you know, but I was, I wanted to, in, you know, keep going with the job because the main reason why I was in this job was because it was in Laurel Village. I was able to drive to work and park at, at my office and pick up my kids on time, which was to me at the time, like a big luxury to be able to pick up the kids on time from school. So, so I, you know, I just, you know, it was like, for my family, I'm gonna do this, you know, I'm gonna just make this work, okay? And though, you know, and all while this is happening to, you know, concurrently, um, you know, my, my father-in-law, Garces' dad, he had um, another recurrence of uh, his cancer after having finished months prior, uh, a round of chemo and, and treatment and, and such and radiation. And, um, and so he had to go to Oakland Kaiser to remove the, the new cancer that they had just found. And what was supposed to be, I think like a, a two hour procedure or something turned into like a 12 hour procedure. Um, and so um, I guess we should have known that like that wasn't a good sign if, if they're in there trying to remove, you know, tumors, and and it just and it just keeps going, you know. And so after I think about 
maybe about two to three weeks or so in, while he was in Oakland Kaiser, he went to, they moved him to like an extended care facility to have round the clock care. And he was there for, I think, at least maybe like a month. And Garce would take his mom to see his dad, not every day, then at least like almost every other day to see his dad in San Leandro. And, and then he'd go to work afterwards. And I just, you know, sometimes my, my husband doesn't, nobody knows like how much my husband does. And so, you know, not only did he have to do all this stuff, but he also is the one every day who gets the kids ready for school and gets them off. And sometimes that's not easy when people don't want to wake up, don't want to, you know, don't eat their breakfast fast and, um, and get all their stuff ready. And so he does this every day. And, and then on top of that, he had to, you know, right after he dropped off the kids, go pick up mom, go to the facility, you know, spend some time with, with his dad, then drive her home sometimes, and then, and then go to work right after. And, you know, it's a, it's a drain, you know? And so, so it was a lot for him, and I appreciate all that he does for us and that, that Garst does for our family every day. Um, and so, and on top of this time that my uh, father-in-law was in the extended care, this was the first time my mother-in-law had to live by herself. I mean, you figure, okay, 50 plus years of not living by yourself, you know, all of a sudden you're by yourself. So, and you know, you're not necessarily in the best of health, health yourself. So. It's, it's a hard thing, it's a hard adjustment. And so um, I guess, you know, maybe someday we'll kind of go through a little something like that. But, um, but yeah, so we also had to, so Garth had to tend to his mom and I tried to help out whenever I could, but it was mainly Garth and helping out with any like requests she had. Um, and it does make, did, I think it, truly made us all realize how much Garces' dad did for himself and his wife, you know, on a daily basis on like taking care of the household sort of thing. And so but Garces' dad was finally released, you know, to come home. But the sad part was, was those weeks that he was at home um, with every doctor's appointment that he had and that his prognosis seemed to be getting worse and worse. And it wasn't just it just wasn't getting any better and we had to all face the inevitable and they had the talk and said that you know it's advancing really fast and you know we don't know how much more time you're going to have and so we had to uh get hospice care for for his dad and you know and i think also because of you know those last few weeks um i felt the importance it was to um to get them witnessed to and so garce you know witnessed to his parents and gave them those chick tracks in chinese um in case they needed kind of like reinforcement on you know getting saved and so because sometimes, you know, to be honest, I don't know how many of your parents are just mainly Chinese speaking, but it's kind of tough. And, you know, we try and, you know, Garces Chinese is pretty good, but, you know, sometimes it's tough to translate 
you know, the salvation prayer and, and to translate the whole gift of salvation to um, mainly Chinese-speaking people. Um, but uh, in April, I remember, um, went out to, um, Garson and I went out to dinner with the kids uh, on a Sunday evening, and I was, you know, just kind of casually looking at my Facebook um, on the way home, and I saw this weird post about one of my friends, and um, I found out via the Facebook um, feed that um, one of our old uh, friends that used to go to CBC passed away. And so about two weeks later, I, I, uh, Vicki and I went to our friend's uh, service in San Mateo, I think. And then, um, and during the service, I was getting all these texts from Garce. And they were, you know, just about, you know, at first they started out kind of innocent, like, oh, my mom's, you know, a little bit annoying, like, like maybe she's just being demanding or something. And then, and then it started going into more about dad and, um, and then about how he, he may have passed. And, and then, and then, and that maybe he was still breathing. And, um, and then this rush of texts and, 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 and all the while, Garth is truly amazing because he can, he can still keep up the face, okay? I mean, Garth is a pretty good actor. He can, still get the kids ready. He was, he didn't go to our friend's service because he was getting the kids to their Saturday activities. So he was getting Abby to her ballet, getting Marcus to his Kung Fu, and all the while the kids didn't know anything, okay? And all this stuff is just coming at him. And I think even during this text, he said, we're going to McDonald's, what do you want for from McDonald's, okay? And so, um, and so, literally, it was like, it's almost like when those, you, you couldn't plan it better out of a movie. I'm about to toss the flower into my, onto my, my friend's casket, and I, and he, and I received the text from Garza, his dad passed, and I, I was just, you know, I was just thankful because I was next to my cousin, who I hadn't seen in years, and she was right next to me. And, you know, she was there to give me that hard hug, you know, and that support that I needed in that moment. And, you know, I'm sorry that I was there for Garth in his moment when he found out, but I had to get home as soon as possible and help him tell the, the news to the kids. Cause I told him, don't tell them without me. I think I should be home. We should tell them together. And, um, and I was just praying for them, especially for them, for my family, because, you know, this, especially the kids, because it was their first real experience of death and loss, because they're young, they don't know anything like that yet. And, and they've known their, their grandfather, their grandfather helped raise them and take care of them since birth, through like preschool because yeah yeah was always the one to pick them up from school sometimes also drop them off and they could always we could always count on yeah yeah to do whatever needed to get done okay and um so we got home we sat them down and you know the sad part is abby knew abby knew because you know at the time yeah, she's 12 okay 
she knows okay and so she knew and she's like oh no she's like no no and I'm sorry I'm getting a lot more emotional than I thought it would um so we told them together and you know we let them cry and that evening I was alone with my mother-in-law and I was I was sort of blessed to have that time because um the kids weren't in the living room with us and um, Garson wasn't either. Maybe he was helping them out with stuff and we were in my, my in-law's living room and I was with my, my mother-in-law and I asked her, because I don't feel like we ever really like confirmed like for sure if they received Jesus as their savior. And I was like, I asked her multiple times. I was like, mom, did you, did you say yes? to, did you and dad say yes? And she said, she explained to me, it wasn't like, cause there are times when I feel like my, my mother-in-law gives me the, the, the blank nod, the blank look and the nod. Like she says she understands me, but she's like, it's like, she'll ask Garth like two minutes later, what did she just say? <laughs> what did she just ask me? I'm like, oh no. <laughs> so so I, I asked her multiple times, I'm like, did you, when you, when Garth told you the, the story, did you understand? And then it sounded like, like they had it in the back of their mind, kind of like they, like they kept it in, the, in their minds. But what really helped was that we reinforced it, that Garth reinforced it with the chick tracks because then they could go back and kind of like review sort of thing. Like, and it'll, it reinforced what Garth said. And because it came from, you know, their son who they love plus they have it in writing like kind of like as a like a reminder sort of thing that you know I think after they read the chick track it kind of reinforced it and then she said yes like they did accept Jesus as their savior and so I was like so relieved by it because it was just you know because I don't know how many of you are in that spot, but it's just like, it's such a relief to know that your loved ones, especially your parents or your grandparents or whoever, you know, like that you were able to do this for them and that when the time comes, you know, you'll still see them. It's not a, this is the end. This is truly like the end. And so, and so I was, I was glad to share that news with Garth that evening and just to make sure he knew and that he had the relief of knowing that his parents did indeed and he did bring them to Jesus. And so um, it was a rough time for us. You know, I'll be honest, obviously, as you can tell, I'm all emotional um, for this sense of loss and that, you know, we realized how much Garce's dad, you know, took care of I, I especially, you know, thank, am thankful and appreciative of my father-in-law for all he did for our kids. And, um, and he had such a hand in them, and, and he was so, he was always so sweet and so gentle with them, and he, he was always like, that's okay. Um, whatever they did, whatever offense they did, it was always, that's okay. And, um, and so, you know, it was just, you know, we still miss him, but, you know, we're, we are comforted in the knowledge that we will see him one day in heaven. And so, you know, we made all of our adjustments and, you know, Garth 
since has had to take care of his mom more, though thankfully she found a nice housekeeper and caregiver, you know, to take care of her, you know, for most of the week. And, um, and so it's good. I mean, and for, for me, you know, this time I was still trying to find my way and to make my new job work. And, and it's weird because my husband can be very prophetic. No, I'm sorry. I'm talking so long. Obviously, yes, the kids can attest. Um, my husband's pretty pro- prophetic. I don't know how else to say it. He, we, we're big fans of like watching all the superhero movies. And so we're funnily geeky in that way. We're a geeky family in that way. And he said, you know, all the Marvel movies, they're all like about fathers. Like they all have something to do with fathers. And so I thought, you know, yeah, it's true. And so about a couple months later, my, my own father took a turn for the worse and he went to SF Kaiser and he had not been feeling well for a while. And he had a new doctor, new inexperienced doctor. And he was the only doctor who was Chinese speaking that was accepting new patients. And so he had to go with the only doctor. And so, um, so anyways, um, I'm sorry, I'll try to keep this short, um, shorter. So, um, so basically, um, because of this, because of this young doctor didn't help, he um, was a little bit later in his stay, the doctor said that he was diagnosed with stage four cancer. It's moving fast. It's advancing pretty rapidly. Um, and the doctor said that there's nothing he can, they can, more they can do for him. He's just gonna go home and hospice care again. Um, because I was close by, I was working in Laurel Village. My, we, Garson and I grew up in the Richmond, so I was able to go over to my dad's house um, pretty frequently whenever. Um, and I could make myself available to my sister and my stepsister so that whenever they needed like additional support, when they weren't sure what to do, I would kind of be the third person to kind of do the do it or, or give them the, the support they needed to just go, don't worry about it. You do the best you can. If this is what we got to do, this is what we got to do. So I was that person for them. And um, so after a couple weeks, um, of being at home, my dad was really struggling, and and they also, as with each medical visit or care visit, my dad was getting worse, and they were just saying his health is going. He may just have like a maybe another couple, maybe another week, another week to live. So, so we all planned our last goodbyes, and um, that morning, I I just remember. I, I gave my, my, my dad a, a kiss on the forehead, and I said, bye, dad, and I went, to, I went back to work. Um, the next morning, around 6 a.m., my sister texts me as I'm getting ready to go to work and said, I should go to the house because dad may, dad may have passed. So brushed my teeth, changed my clothes, rushed over there, and sure enough, my dad had passed in the middle of the night in his sleep. And you know, and I was okay because I was able to witness to my dad the Christmas before last, and he was, and he, I got him saved, and so amen to that. And then, so it made me feel at peace knowing that he was saved, and I didn't have to worry about him. And that was end of July. Um, 
and I was almost like a checklist for funeral, doing things for funerals because I, I literally, as we were waiting for people to come pick up my dad from the house, I'm literally, I, I figure, let's, let's keep going. And I'm like, just like making a checklist for my sister and my stepsister to just kind of like go over so we can like, did you do this? Okay, make sure you have red envelopes, white envelopes. Make sure list of names for pallbearers. List of you know this. Do this. Do that. And so I I had all these things already running in my head because I was fresh from Garza's dad um, helping with the arrangements for that. And um, but yeah. And uh, um, but and then you know and then also I thought you know my job seemed to be going okay. But you know I got I got let go from there like the when I came back from Labor Day and um, but you know but it was miraculous because within a month of getting let go I got a new job and it was because by the grace of God I got through LinkedIn everybody I got I got I got connected with my old director of finance she connected me with my old CFO who was in charge of a whole bunch of like companies and connected me with one of the companies and they just hired me. They didn't even ask me about my, you know, my, why did I let go, get let go of my previous, from my previous job? I didn't even get that. It was just, you know, what do I know? And I knew plenty and that was, you know, that was like my wheelhouse. So, so, and, and now I'm working at an advertising agency. They're the people famous for Got Milk. And it's funnily enough, right next door to the restaurant my dad used to work at for like 20 years. So it's just like a weird coincidence, but I'm thankful to God. You know, I, through all this adversity, I never blamed God. I never said, why God? It, it, I, I never, I don't know. I don't know if it's just because I was raised in the church and raised up with God, but I never had that. I, I never have that feeling. I just know that there's a greater purpose. Whether I find out in hindsight what the true meaning is, like why did why did all these things happen? I find out and you know, that's that's when I get maybe a clear, more clear hindsight. But when I'm going through it, I know. I, I know I have enough faith that I know that there's a reason for it and that I'm there for whoever is going through it also with me as well. I'll do what I can to support them and to help them out. And so I hope I was that for my family at least. Um, but I am grateful for everything. Like, like that dumb job, all the trials and all the adversity that I was going through with the dumb job and all the mental stuff was because I could be closer to my family and be there for them. And so that's why God put me there. Even though it wasn't the best job for me, I knew that there was a purpose for it. In hindsight, yeah, that's the reason why I was there. And that's why I didn't need to be there anymore. And that's why I got let go. And so now I'm in a better place. And I am also just thankful with the knowledge and the peace that comes with knowing that I will see my dads again one day in heaven. So. Thank you. Oh, and yes. So, yeah. Alrighty. <laughs> I think I said plenty.
All right, if you're part of Chinese school, can you go do your Chinese school things right now before all the kids run wild, right? So to wrap it up, you know, we had a great testimony here that shows you that, you know, this adversity is part of our life, but God is with us, right? Adversity is what, you know, having all these hard times makes good times feel better. Adversity reminds us of that perfect world that Shirley was just talking about, right? Our, our, our home in heaven coming up later on. And adversity is what calls people to Christ. What a great story that even though there's a sad time, someone dies, that also someone gets called to Christ. Let's pray and wrap up today's message. Dear God, thank you for uh, this time we have here to gather together to hear this uh, great testimony, this great sharing about, you know, Christians and how they face all these struggles. But we know that you're with us. You're on our side. You're helping us all the way. Even if we don't see, don't realize at the time, we're so grateful that we have you, God. God, we ask that you bless this congregation through good and through bad, through all things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.